0: When you hear the word Sermon on the Mount, various things might come to you. And the Sermon on the Mount is, was the very first series that we actually did uh, as a Crossway Church. A handful of us sitting around. I still remember the scripture reading was not by one person. We were going around reading one verse at a time and reading twice before I delivered the message. And God did wonderful things. And because of our seventh year, the the leaders and elders of our church and the original group, uh, not just reminiscing the time, early times, but the power, remembering the power of God's word and transformation we experienced we are revisiting that again. And this message, this, the whole series, is very closely related to the vision of our church. And you will see that soon. Today, we are going to focus on verses 1 and 2, which is not much, but it is very necessary for us to have some introduction and, the, and uh, the principles of interpretation of that. And let's start with this idea. Why study the Sermon on the Mount? The first idea is it is the best known part of Jesus' teaching, as we all uh, experienced this few minutes ago. Some parts of the Sermon on the Mount are well known to most people even irreligious, secular atheists as well. But yet, arguably, it is the least understood and certainly it is the least obeyed. Starting with famous people like Tolstoy, uh, Gandhi, Martin Luther King Jr., who was influenced by Gandhi's Uh, resolution from the Sermon on the Mount of non-retaliation and non-violence resistance. Overcoming evil with good, not overcoming with paying back with, with bad. Evil. And not only that, most religious and irreligious people know about the golden rule, the turning the other cheek, take out your speck, trying to, instead of trying to take the speck out of the other person's eyes, take the plank, the telephone paw from your eyes first. Judge not, lest you be judged. And as I mentioned, non retaliation and love your enemies. And I, I would contend that even many church-going well-meaning Christians either misunderstand lots of this part of this uh, Sermon on the Mount, or there is a misconceptions reading into it. So I think it's very important for us to do that number two reason it is jesus portrait of true spirituality and this is my hot button right now these days what do i mean by jesus portrait of true Christianity jesus it's jesus own description of what every christ follower not some elite christians but every christ follower is meant to be as a citizen of God's kingdom. When I mention true Christianity, there is a pseudo Christianity, obviously. Did you see one of those Facebook posts about uh, nine, ten of billionaires and millionaires, prosperity gospel people, forty million dollar—I mean, worth person and. And all kinds of airplane jets and private jets. And that became really well-known preachers, televangelists on TV. Okay, let's set that aside. Um, as a extreme, as or outliers. But what about a typical person? What does it mean have a Christian faith and I'm not saying that you guys believe that but this is well known typical saying to believe in Jesus Christ so that I could go to heaven when I die I think evil one has done a really good job in a way that always that when you think about the aberrant teaching or the any kind of cultic idea is not a blatant, bad, wrong ideas. It's a truth. It's just tweaked a little bit. Like Lucifer, with all the glory, his heart was tweaked, bent a little bit toward to the evil. So... Does that mean just you wait until go go to, go to heaven when you die? Is it like an insurance after death? Oh, the typical Christians on the street will say, and that experience blessings while I live through faith. And then we're going to talk about blessings in Sermon on the Mount as well. But blessing is basically... No sickness, health, long life. Uh, Spock has a lot of good influence on in our American culture. Live long and prosper. That type of, our kids go to better schools and good schools, and our businesses prosper. Uh, we continually move in upper mobility, socioeconomically. That becomes what Christian life is all about. What breaks my heart? And it should break our hearts together as as well. In so doing, we have lost the testimony. Because non-Christians and Christians, there isn't much of a difference at all. If there's a difference, it's a weird kind of difference. The self-culture of listening to uh, Christian music and Christian album and Christian store and Christian concert and then from typical irreligious people, kind of looks weird. In the first century, when people gather They loved each other so much the people misunderstood they're actually literal brothers and sisters and accused them of incest because a brother and sister will marry together. Christian brothers and sisters. At the hands of persecutors their head was beheaded some of them in the oil some of them in uh, died in a excruciating pain on the fire eaten by lions and bears but there was a transcendent joy singing hymns to God at the very last minute whatever happened to that Christianity superficiality it is the mark of modern Christianity We need to return to the real thing. What Jesus says about what Christian life looks like. And I want to plead with you to be open-minded and teachable to the word of God. Because it begins with eight blessings. Eightfold blessing. It's just a different kind of blessing. True blessing. Martin Lloyd Jones, who wrote uh, tremendous in tremendously insightful commentary I, i've been giving away that book as a birthday gift for a few people, starting with Chang's fiftieth birthday and I have one more copy and i'm going to find a reason to give it to you because this book has been impacted has Im- it's so much of impact. Uh, a lot of our leaders, studying with me. And if you read, follow along with that, uh, it will be tremendously helpful. The title is simply "Studies in the Sermon on the Mount." The other book that I would recommend it will be John Stutz. John is Stutz, much more thinner and. Um, but they're excellent as well. Let's look at number three and the last reason why study the Sermon on the Mount. It is the greatest sermon ever preached by the greatest teacher in history. If we really listen, get a fresh hearing, and relearn From the sermon, the ways of Jesus, the way of Jesus, it will revolutionize our hearts, our lives. There are other passages that has been tremendously impactful on my life. But this one keeps close to the top for me. When I finally studied, understood, and reflect and chew on that per, uh, passages. There's three little chapters from Matthew 5, 6, and 7 it really has revolutionized my life. I'm restudying again as we teach this series. As I mentioned, it will take about seven months, including holidays. It will be maybe eight or nine months. I anticipate each week that you will read upon and reflect on that together. There's some important things that we need to do before we jump into it. There are four commonly misguided approaches. The number one is um, to think of this as a, a clarion call to live a good life, to do good things for the social life is benefit. And typically, this is called the social gospel. A lot of people who are well-meaning, who are non-Christians, typically, or a neoliberal uh, theologians and Christians, would love these passages and think of it as um, to in order for us to change the, the culture and change the life the Sermon on the Mount will be very beneficial. Actually we will understand why this is far from the truth is because he, when you think about audience Jesus was teaching to his disciples rather than evangelistic message to the irreligious secular people. So number one misguided approach is the social gospel approach. It is really not living a try to live a good moral life try to love everybody and try to have nonviolence to everybody no it's not that. Second We're going to have to edit re- a lot. There's a piece of notes that I have. Can you bring that for me? On the desk, just bring those papers. The second misgu- uh, misguided approach is this. To think of it as a, another law, New Testament law, that substitutes Old Testament Ten Commandments. It is prescriptive. Oh, thank you. I don't know how that. No, I don't need it anymore. <laughs> okay, we're number three. I, I, I changed that. Uh, the modern version of the Ten Commandments. You must do these for your salvation. That's why it becomes so dispensary. Uh, despairing for the people who are well-meaning readers and there is no way i could do that but listen listen to this there's a two two poles of important approach into this so the, one is jesus who will never teach on something expects us to fail in other words this sermon on the mount can be lived out but not on our own strength. The, the other side of the extreme will be the social, social gospel uh, people were saying that I love Sermon on the Mount. I could live it out. I am living it out. I'm all about, I, I don't like Christians and I don't like churches, but I love Sermon on the Mount as if they could practice everything. You will find out ne- next week the first beatitude starts with poverty in spirit. Jesus teaches these important truths, spiritual truth. But the first thing that you need to realize is that you can't do it. I can't do it. And that's why there's a need for regeneration. In other words, born of the spirit. In other words, the Holy Spirit comes into our lives and provides a supernatural power for us to live out Christian life. Yes, Christian life is not just impossible. I mean, Christian life is not just difficult to live. It is impossible to live. There isn't a single person in the whole wide world who could live out the Christian life. Who could or has lived the Christian life. Jesus Christ, who took the human body, he was a fully man, but and yet he had no sin. He he lived a perfectly righteous life. So when the Holy Spirit comes in, the Spirit of Jesus comes into our lives. It is possible. The second one, I mean, the now third one, but we changed that order a little bit. The sermon as depiction of future kingdom of God. This is an old school dispensation approach to it. The reason why it is impossible, it is when thousand years come, the kingdom, God's kingdom come, Christ reigns as a king, then we will be able to. But right now, there's no way. It is really irrelevant to our everyday life as a Christian. Absolutely not. We will understand why. um, Through the passage, there is a sense of tasting now the kingdom of God, but consume later. That idea already, but not yet, is really the Sermon on the Mount. Lastly, the wrong approach to the Sermon on the Mount is to, to approach the sermon as a series of commands that are to be carried out literally and mechanically without careful interpretations. This is the one that I got stumbled over. When I became a Christian as a teenager, as you, some of you guys remember that, um, I was an early maturing adolescent. I was le- athletic and going, you know, doing all different kinds of martial arts. The one big, difficult huddle as I became a Christian, my junior high glory days, is <laughs> not fighting. Okay, I'll, I'll be quiet and no one touches me, but in my own life, not to stand up when others challenge me, that's a, I mean, the worst nightmare that I could have. But I, I, as I read Sermon on the Mount, when someone strikes you right cheek, give them your left cheek also too. And I said, There is no way I could do this. I'm not cut out to live a Christian life. My teenage years was miserable because of that. Because I didn't understand. And I'm going to repeat this over and over. The theme of the Sermon on the Mount goes like this. It's really Christian righteousness. In order for us to really experience Christian righteousness... In other words, spiritual sanctification, God is making us holier. The key to that is not accumulating righteous deeds and doings, religious activities, um, pieties, spiritual disciplines. Actually, we don't accumulate anything. The key to that is deep realization of our own sin and our depravity which makes us to turn to God in desperation without crisis no one's not I mean no one in your family loved ones are not sick at all and everything's going well but in your desperate heart you begin to lean on God and the God's righteousness comes to your heart the inner righteousness, inner transformation, not by our own effort, but by grace of God. And this is why I think um, God's pro- provisional guidance was there for us. When we talked about spiritual disciplines, we, uh, when we hear things like that, we become a- absolutely passive, riding a motorboat. Remember that? Or become really legalistic about rowboat. But Christian life is like a sailboat. We don't have the power of transforming our inner being. Holy Spirit has the power. But when we discern and follow the prompting and leading of the Spirit, and we submit to that, raise the cell, so to speak, then we will experience the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit take us to the next level of spiritual growth. So we'll get to that. Whenever we get to the difficult passages instead of writing it off, oh this hyperbole. This is figure of speech. So I I just don't want to even deal with it or I'm impossible to to do that or try to with you know with all self-determination try to live that out. The key for for us to remember is the inner transformation not trying so hard to mechanically do very that so listen to John Stott writing about the delicate balance of that he writes for the standards of the sermon are neither readily attainable by everyone nor totally unattainable by any man. To put them beyond everybody, anybody's reach is to ignore the purpose of Christ's sermon. To put them within everybody's is to ignore the reality of men's sin. They are attainable, all right, but only by those who have experienced the new birth, which Jesus told Nicodemus was the dis- indispensable condition of seeing and entering God's kingdom. For the righteousness he described in the sermon is an inner righteousness. Let's look at entire Sermon on the Mount and have like a bird's eye view, a little bit of a orientation about the Sermon on the Mount this is today's text Matthew 5 verse 1 and 2 seeing the crowds he went up on the mountain and when he sat down his disciples came to him for modern reader this, is, this might be just a uh, meaningless description of his act before he teaches. But if you look at their culture and context, contextual meaning to that, there's a, much of a uh, backdrop that it provides. And number one, seeing the crowds, he went up to the mountain. Matthew is not making up, mosaic type of collection if you will of separate Jesus teaching but this is actually what happened and then why did he go up the mountain probably people can see him better and sound better without no uh, amplifier and people might be easier to listen to him And then, when he sat down, this is a Jewish way of rabbis point of beginning of his teaching. They will sit down. And furthermore, um, the disciples came to him. So, the target audience was not just crowd in terms of everybody, believers and non-believers together, but his disciples came to him. He was speaking to the believers. He's speaking to the followers of Christ. So this is about the followers of Christ. And then when he mentioned the kingdom and blessing, we're talking about every single citizen, that belongs to the kingdom of God. Remember a few weeks ago I mentioned that whenever we hear the kingdom of God, our modern readers think about United Kingdom place, some kind of a kingdom. Well, Actually, the biblical meaning is, well, for a kingdom, there are three things needed. One is a land and people and the kingship. Or should I, should we say sovereignty of nation? when we die physically before we have a resurrected body, the temporary place that we go to is heaven, but it is not the kingdom of God forever. Kingdom of God is where god's kingship, sovereignty is there, so which means our salvation. Christian life begins today begins now as soon as you become a Christ follower regenerated by the Holy Spirit so he is addressing to those people who belong to the kingdom of God the genuine followers of Christ and then verse 2 he opened his mouth this is another Jewish expression of a Solemn teaching, something very significant is beginning in his teaching. Or sometimes he will say, truly, truly, or verily, verily, or, or some other translation will, amen, amen, right? So, so that, and then taught them saying, blessed are those are poor in spirit and then eight beatitude begins so number one the nature is is, it is jesus actual sermon to the disciples his disciples not necessarily one sermon in one hour Uh, some scholars figure that it's if you just read through it it will take about 10 to 15 minutes three chapters so was that a compact message Probably not. I think I would agree with A.B. Simpson who would say, um, unlike the neo-liberals uh, or neo-evangelical uh, scholars will say, the mosaic and collection of all different kinds of teaching uh, Matthew collected. No, it's a one setting, but maybe uh, in a concept of our retreat, a period of time that Jesus will come back to the same place over and over. Uh, a lot of times, the feeding 5,000 people happened that way also too. So it might, be, it might be a period of long time. And he said, he taught a lot of things, elaborating probably. And Matthew, by the Holy Spirit, remember that. And Luke's version is much smaller and sh- shorter. And then people will say, "Well, it's the same sermon, but the different authors took it different way." I do not think so, because it specifically Matthew talks about going up to the mountain. Uh, Luke points to the level ground, so that sermon is usually called the Sermon on the Plain. This one is the Sermon on the Mount, and then ending the chapter seven. There's people's response to his teaching. Chapter 7, verse 28 and 29. Number two, what, what was the purpose? Its purpose is not live like this and you'll become Christian. You will be saved. But because you are Christian, live like this. There's a vast difference The salvation doesn't belong to God, Uh, belong to us. Salvation is not by our self-efforts and determined will. Salvation is by grace, free gift of God, God's work. But through faith, our human responsibility is there. So Jesus is actually depicting kingdom citizens and norm of the kingdom culture. Which is very countercultural to our world. Key principle is this the pseudo Christianity begins always with doing. But the Sermon on the Mount, a clear principle that we need to embrace and understand, even in terms of interpreting the text. Is our being precedes our doing. Real transformation is from inside out. The righteousness of not our deeds, but heart. But don't avoid the idea of, okay, I just need to believe. It's not even easy, believism, the mental activity. The faith is full. Not only we commit, and there's a fruit coming out. When you have an apple tree, and there's no apple whatsoever, that apple tree is dead. When we are born of the Spirit, we will bear the deeds of the Holy Spirit, the fruit of the Holy Spirit. You now, the good works are actual natural result and outcome of the salvation. What is the theme? This is very interesting. Some scholars will say in Leviticus and during the wilderness time God called Israelites out of the Egypt and going into the Canaan all kinds of pagan idol worships and religions are going on. And Jesus, I mean, God in the Old Testament gives this command, the Mosaic law, you do not be like them. They're like this, but don't be like them. In Jesus' own way of saying, this is a key verse, do not be like them. But interestingly, unlike... um, Unlike the new, the Old Testament, it is actually to not be like them. From two different types of people, one is be radically different from the secular people. So we could think about non-believers, people who doesn't have a high morals and ethics, and just their their life is messed up. Do not be like them. And even even in your workplaces. People who are slackers, people who are liars, people who continually take advantage of the company, do not be like them. People who are mean, people who are s- sitting with bitterness and do not let go, do not be like them. But living in Orange County, we need to be very careful about paying attention to second group of people namely religious people church going people nominal Christians do not be like them scribes and Pharisees they do a lot of this showing off externally they say and don't do the same thing the hypocritical things there they are continually conscious about others eyes and praises and recognition when they pray and fast, do not be like them. Or we could have our modern version. The people who are going to church and they're excited about that, and they're consumers, consumers of spiritual things, religious things. So in terms of church growth and the pastors and uh, capitulate into that consumerist, consumeristic Christianity, you know, I learned that uh, over the years. The two most important areas of uh, any new beginning church is you got to find worship leader who is like a rock star and who could lead with authority but in yet musical sensitivity. So the higher number one is usually the worship pastor, worship leader. And the other one is if you don't have a good children's ministry, people will not come back. Is a children's education important? Of course. But not as a, the gimmick of people staying in our church. That's why our ch- children's ministry philosophy is parents are the front runner, we are primary responsible people for our children's spiritual development. We are the primary disciples. And there is no wow factor in the department of Christian ministry, children's ministry, and youth ministry, and college ministry. Do not be like them. And in a way that as we are going through this series, I think the way we do social media, we need to become mindful about that. Because social media has become as strangely, and I would admit, when I upload my kids' pictures, has to be right, has to smile, has to have a, you know, no ripped part of their shirt, and sometimes I give up because they don't they don't cooperate and taking several pictures with four sons together, one of them is always looking away and <laughs> not only that, some of the things that we do good things religiously we broadcast kind of in the name of uh, letting others know being encouraged. God only knows we are not to judge their anybody's motive, hidden motive, God will judge them. So we should free from that. But even in terms of our own view, we should be mindful about, am I not like them? And I would admit, it's a swim against the current And I am so thankful for many of you who actually endure difficult way of doing church at Crossway. And did you know that in the beginning of Crossway we used to have a flow chart? I I was able to given thirty five minutes. Past few Sundays I've been going over one hour. Not because not because I am Rationalizing, uh, lack of, you know, keeping tight and uh, just, you know, rationalizing, not improving on my preaching, in some sense. But I think that what we are trying to do, and what I am given, and surrender my heart to, that is, throughout the week, my priority has been changed, and I am full of the God's what has God's given. And the, the sun, Saturday night and Sunday morning is trying to take away. And I still try to, oh, I can't take this away. I got to share this. And I will be better at it. But I will not apologize. For the pastoral heart I have, the word of God is truly living and active than any nice uh, manicured speech any, can, any man can have do you know that whenever you, te- you listen to the TED uh, message they usually 15-20 minutes Outsta- every talk is outstanding of course all truth it's God's truth when God has given us his revelation his word This is to be the primary tool in our culture, Christian culture, church culture. Turn that upside down. Any kind of the best knowledge and best practices in the world, in Christians and non-Christians, became the primary leader of the thoughts. In the leadership and whatever the scripture said has to support that. No, do not be like them. We need to we need to go back to Jesus' teaching and say, we believe what you teach is sufficient to us. We will submit, It's sometimes very difficult to submit, but yes, we will submit to that because we believe your word has living water a power to transform us lastly structure the structure is what I gave you and if you just take a look at handout it will look like this the verses 1 and 2 will be introduction Uh, chapter 7 verse 28 to 29 is conclusion and that there's three main parts in the Sermon on the Mount. Notice that it begins with Christian character, being. Do not listen to it as a prescriptive or imperative. Listen to it as indicative of who Christians are. Jesus didn't say, try to be light Of the world try to be salt of the earth try to be poor in the spirit he didn't say that you are the salt of the earth you are the light of the world blessed who are are blessed people who has God's blessing the poor in spirit and we'll elaborate on that next week but think about though even the word blessed the, the Christian blessing is all here do you remember that every single Christian Christ follower kingdom citizens have all eight blessings eight folded blessings like the fruit of the spirit is one fruit of the Holy Spirit, of different aspects, it's like a this different acts of aspects of diamond. If you look at it, then there is a joy love. If you look at it this way, there is a peace love. There is there is a, a self control love, and the same thing, the poverty of spirit and the meekness and the peacemaking, merciful. All those are one blessing to every single believer. but I need to hold back, because I decided to end on time today. Let's do this next week, because this will take more time on that. I'll just show you this. Next week, we will understand, and I said, uh, it it is a depiction of portrait of believer, kingdom person, Christ follower, genuine Christ follower. But there is a progression, not by human works, but God's sanctification process. Who he, he who has begun a good work in you will accomplish it. Complete it. What is the work? Sanctification work. First four, think about this. Or the reason why uh, one whole thing is one. The figure of speech the writers use in the Bible, typically, in non-Bible literature also too, inclusio, inclusio. What is inclusio? Two bookends. Notice a verse, the first beatitude ends with, there is the kingdom of heaven. Number eight, there is the kingdom of heaven which means be in between everything same. That is inclusive. The psalm, when you study through the psalm, this will continue to come up as well. So in that, what happens is the sanctification process, God deals with the false righteousness, which is self-righteousness. The four, four top four, is getting rid of emptying that process. And then bottom four is putting on the true self, the Christ, the righteousness of God, and actually living it out. In so doing, number one affects number five. Number two affects number, leads to number six. Number three, if you are only meek person, you will be Peacemakers, and the people who are only number four, who are hungry and thirst for righteousness, will be able to suffer and persecuted for righteousness' sake. This is incredible spiritual truth for us. Don't, don't once again don't go to the social gospel, thinking that uh, the people who are poor right now, Jesus will repay. Um, in the Old Testament, the next next week I will explain more. But Old Testament, the, those who are poor, as oppressed, and their physical poverty eclipsed with spiritual poverty. Not not these days. How do I know this? The people who are poor, physically, what they're hungry for. They're hungry for prosperity they're hungry for wealth but only those who are people who are hungry in spirit will hunger and thirst for righteousness let's conclude with this three steps how do we approach the sermon number 1 sermon so approach the sermon with this key underlying principle do not be like them it is God-fearing message. God's purpose to, is to call out a people for himself as his holy people, separated people. Be radically different from irreligious as well as uh, religious. Number two, approach the sermon not as a code of ethics, but as a description or portrait of the authentic Christian Character and conduct. Number three, approach the sermon as the Christian counterculture, as the citizens of God's kingdom. What is a counterculture of Christians? John Stott writes a fully human life indeed, but lived out under God's sovereign reign. Which is possible. We are to be countercultural. A little bit of a caution there. We are not anti cultural. Just for the sake of disagreeing with the culture all the time, suspicious of culture all the time. No, because of Christ's value, Christ's way is so radically different, we become countercultural because Jesus is countercultural. I conclude with Martin Lloyd-Jones quote which which is not only encouragement but challenge for us as the Church of Christ. Martin Lloyd-Jones writes I suggest to you that the Sermon on the Mount is the best means of evangelism. Surely we all ought to be urgently concerned about this at the present time the world today is looking for and desperately needs true christians i am t- I am never tired of saying that what the christian need what the church needs to do is not to organize evangelistic campaigns to attract outside people but to begin herself to live the christian life if she did that men and women would be crowding into our buildings. They would say, What is the secret of this? Sisters and brothers, are you different? Are you radically different? Are you counterculturally different? Look to Christ. It is not a message of guilt, but invitation of God's grace and a real transformation. Pay attention to the Sermon on the Mount. It will revolutionize you. With open heart. May God richly bless us. May the Holy Spirit transform us inside out through this series. Let's pray. Father, what a privilege it is to know that Jesus Himself has given this wonderful teaching that we could experience inner transformation that results in outer fruit. I do pray that you will transform us and revolutionize our hearts. We give heed to, to your call to do not be like them. Would you teach us about this radical principle of countercultural difference in our everyday life? May our church be genuine followers of Christ. May our church be the salt of the earth and the light of the world as you have already described us to be. We give you glory and joy and thanksgiving for your guidance. We pray all these things in the name of the Father, of the Son, of the Holy Spirit. Amen.